0: All right, open in your Bibles, please, to the book of James, chapter 1. We're working our way right through this book. I know we must have courage, right, to go through this book. Wow. James certainly tells it like it is. But as I've studied it, I've been blessed to see the gospel is there in this book, contrary to what some people may lead you to believe. And James is big on the goodness and the grace and the awesomeness of our great and mighty God. So we already looked at verses 1 through... 12. And this morning, we're really going to pay particular attention to verses 13 to 18. So that's what we're going to read. We're going to read verses 13 to 18. But I want to remind everyone who hasn't been here, or just let you know, he is on the topic of trials, of tribulations, of difficulties. So as he jumps into the issue of temptation, it's in the context of while you're under the strain of trials. And as you get, if you get tempted, in those circumstances, uh, James is going to give us uh, God's prescription on how to handle such things and where they come from. So let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire He is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he's created. May God bless the reading of his inerrant word to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Let's pray one more time this morning. We got some good words from God that we need to hear and we need to have applied our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would give us a great attentiveness to your word this morning. So many voices, Lord, you know, are clamoring for our attention, begging us to listen, enticing us to go this way, that way. But we, as your children, washed in the blood of the Lamb, Lord, we long for a word from you, our Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord that you chose us not because of anything that we've done or anything good in us, but because of your purposes and because of your mercy. And we ask now that you be with us, that you would illuminate our minds, that, Lord, that you would anoint uh, the preaching of the word with your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, may we be numbered among those who um, have ears to hear, eyes to see, and who actually apply what we hear this morning In the power of your spirit. We pray it in the only name through whom you listen, and that's Jesus. Amen. Raise your hand here this morning if you like to be fooled. Who likes to be deceived? You like to be deceived? I mean, think about it. Does anybody actually like, man, I'm so excited this morning, I got duped. You know, like some of the folks, I don't know if you've ever seen this, some of the folks stand at the end of like a, a highway ramp when you're leaving and they have this sign. I think you already know where I'm going with this. And it says, we'll work for food. You ever see this? And if you ever notice, sometimes, and you know, as, as believers, hopefully you have like a tender conscience. Hopefully when you see people in need, you want to help. Well, they have this sign, right? And usually they have the face, right? And usually they're wearing like the worst clothes they could find. And they say, you know, we'll work for food. And then, of course, you know, your heart goes out. So you roll down the window, and this is a true story, by the way. You roll down the window, and you say, hey, as it would be this day, it's the work day at the church. Hop in, man. It's only a few blocks away. You know, work with us, and then we'll take care of you. And what does the guy do? Uh No, thanks. Get out. You're in my way. i got to go to the next car. Nice try, right? That's called deception, isn't it? It's called trying to trick somebody, trying to fool somebody lying where what about this one this is a crazy one in case that one didn't catch you you know if, if you work in the city that kind of catches you this one will catch you do you ever see these interviews you know i just did, i thought my husband was on a business trip and that's what i thought why he was away for like six months at a time i had no idea he had to a totally other family it's called deception right and let's just say nobody likes that can i get an amen Well, here's the cool thing. The cool thing is, God is more concerned that you don't get fooled than you are. He don't want you to be duped either. Amen? Because the heartbreaking thing sometimes in our own lives is that we do what? We fool ourselves. That's the worst kind of deception that we could fall into. Three times in his first chapter, James says, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. I think he's trying to tell us something. And so what he wants us to see this morning is that don't be deceived when you're tempted to give way into evil, when you're under trials and you're suffering and you see an easy way out and you're tempted. Don't be deceived to blame in a sense that you think it's coming from God. You with me? because some people when they get in trouble right away it's God why are you doing this here's an interesting thing Well, we're going to see here, you ever, ever have experienced this one I don't know that I ever did this because usually I got broken up with if I even had a, a girlfriend but do you ever hear this one it's not you right it's me this is the exact opposite of that God is saying it ain't me It is you. And that's what we're going to see this morning. God God ain't ain't fooling around. He's not going to deceive you. He says, yeah, actually, it is you. And what we're going to learn this morning is only two things from this text. And that's we can avoid fooling ourselves about temptation if we do two things. We can avoid being duped. And hopefully, like me, you're like me, you don't want to get duped, especially by yourself. There's two things we could do to avoid uh, the temptation of uh, doing that, of blaming God. First of all, It's place the blame where it rightly belongs. That's the first thing. Very simple point. Make sure we're placing the blame in the right place. The second thing is, and this is the only other thing in the text, make sure we're given credit where credit is due. And that's to God, which James is going to talk about. I'm not going to give it all away now. So let's take a look at the first one. It's place the blame where it rightfully belongs. Look at verse 13 and 14. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Listen. When unholy thoughts come in your mind, you start entertaining them because you just want to do anything you can to relieve the pressure of trials. You just want to do whatever you can to find release. Whatever you do, this is what James says, do not say God is tempting me. And I'll tell you why not. It's the oldest thing, oldest uh, dupe in, in, in history. It's oldest deception. That's the word I'm looking for. Think about it. When did, when did we first see someone passing the buck? Remember who did that? Adam. But you might miss this. It was a subtle thing. You remember Adam took from the tree and ate from the tree that God told him not to take. He went and he hid himself. God went and found him. And he said, you know, what have you done? And what does, what does um, Adam say? Ah, he doesn't. That's, that, that's what I'm saying. You, I would say that too sometimes. But this is what he says. It's the woman what? You gave to be with me. Who's he blaming? Not Eve. He's blaming God. Wow. Wow. It's huge to see that. Human nature tends to blame God. In other words, what Adam was saying is, it's your fault, God, you put her here to be with me. Would have never happened if it wasn't for you. The problem is, man has been passing the buck ever since. Right? I'm in jail because of my parents. You made me do it. I actually had somebody say, I can't believe that the guard did that to me in prison. I said, what did he do? He made me punch him in the face. Interesting. That's called passing the buck. And James certainly says, oh, and think about this. Remember when God confronts Eve, what does Eve say? She was the first one to pull this one. On. The devil made me do it. But Adams was way worse. Why? because he was impugning the holy character of God. And James is saying, don't you dare say God has tempted me. And he gives us a clear reason to never say such a thing. He says this, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now here's the thing. It's not merely that God would never do such a thing, although of course he never would, but the issue here is God can't do such a thing. It's not in him to do that. It's like when Jesus says in the gospel, uh, the, the, the God of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. You get it? There's nothing to appeal to in me. Jesus is holy. He's righteous. He's good. There's no cord that's hit. God cannot be tempted by evil. And then he says this, nor does he tempt anyone. Think. Think about it this way. He would never tempt you to do evil when he goes to such great pains to exhort you to avoid evil and sin like the plague, right? God constantly tells us, stay away from sin, run from sin, put sin to death. He would never tempt us to do not only evil, but the evil that leads to destruction, God pleads with us in His Word that we wouldn't go in that direction. Now here's why. Now, why would James put this here? Like, why, James, uh, you're talking to Christians, <laughs> you know? Why would you say we're going to blame God? Because here's the logic. The logic goes this way. We would call it in our day hyper Calvinism, and this is what it means. Well, since God is in charge of my trials, listen. Right? You've got to understand, the Heavenly Father, nothing happens to you, not, not a hair on your head, and I've had a lot of them fall, fall off apart from the will of your Father. You with me? So since God is sovereign, people take that next fatal step, and they say, therefore, He must also be the one who tempts me. You with me? I'll tell you what that is. That's when you're watching the Giants. I know you all like the Eagles too bad. It's when you're watching the Giants right? And, and Eli goes back and he throws to his favorite receiver and the receiver catches it right on, right on the, uh, the sideline and he runs it all the way in and you're going, yeah! And you see this yellow thing go up in the air. You know those things I'm talking about? I wish it was a banana, but it ain't. It's a flag. And instead of getting a touchdown, what happens? He, you know, it was a pass interference, offense, you're, we're all, we all, all our Giants fans go, oh, that's what's going on. When you, you you're going the right track, you're right, God is sovereign, that's right, He's in control, nothing can happen. And then as soon as you say He's tempting me, eh the yellow flag. <laughs> that's what James is doing. He's yellow flagging you. He's saying, Whoa, you just stepped out of bounds. He's saying, No, you didn't. You did not go there. Amen? You were going good until you got to that point, James is saying. So here's the big, po- th- big thing here that James is going to get into, and it really has been working on me this week. If it's not God's fault, whose fault is it? I know. This is what I stick think when I was a kid. It's the devil's fault. You know, like I've told some of you guys a story, but I'll tell it again. When I was little, I did something wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but I was real little, and it was with, with, I was with a neighbor across the street, and when, I, when my mom found out what happened, she told me, Go to the neighbor, and when you see the parents, tell them the devil made you do it. And I remember knocking out the door, I said, I'm sorry, the devil made me do it. Everybody had a big laugh, and it was cute. Well, it ain't cute here. Because passing the buck to the devil is the easiest thing to do. And here's the interesting thing about this text. Is the devil mentioned at all? Not at all. It's not God's fault. It's not the devil's fault. But let's see where this temptation comes from. James answers us in verse 14. Each one is tempted by his own evil desire when he is dragged away and he's enticed. This is some of the most vivid, descriptive language in all of Scripture concerning the mechanics of temptation. And Pete will like this, cause, um, like my Uncle Pete, same name. He's a fisherman. He likes to fish. It's the analogy of fishing. And I like the way the ESV actually translates it here better. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured. Sound familiar, fisherman? And enticed by his own desire. It's the idea of bait dangling in front of the fish, and the fish is lured out of its place and then enticed by it. Now, uh, I'll I'll brag on my assistant here, because he's a better fisherman than me. I admit that. Um, We were were clamming. Yeah, we like to pull clams out of the mud. And Pete decided, Pete and Jason was with us, and uh, they were throwing the lines out, and Pete had his line in, and he caught an eel. I know some of you are going, ooh, he actually cooked it up and ate it. But anyway, so he caught the eel, but this is what was interesting. He said later on, he goes, eels are nocturnal, and we were fishing in the day. So we thought it was strange. Well, I'll tell you why it wasn't strange, because that eel was probably hanging out, chilling in its place, and what happened? It saw a little dangling piece of clam just hanging there, which isn't normal, and this eel just couldn't help himself, you with me? And so the eel said, man, I can't hold on to it anymore. And he grabbed the hook, and what happened? And Pete lured him in. He was in that bucket, and by the end of that night, he was in Pete's belly. That's what happened. And that's the exact analogy, analogy that James is using here. And the interesting thing here is, the bait, the lure, when it comes to temptation, is not out here. Where is it? It's in here. That's where the analogy gets a little fun, doesn't it? Or interesting. The lure is inside. So think about it this way. If there were no desires for power, if you didn't have a desire for pleasure, if you didn't have a desire for relief at any cost, then you'd never experience temptation. Right? Right? If you don't have a desire for these things look you could be like like you would be like a vegan where someone has red meat and hangs in front of them you would just be like eh, it's disgusting right but the problem is we do have desires to satisfy good things good needs in our lives in an illegitimate way now desires in and of themselves james is not saying is bad obviously we have a desire to eat as a matter of fact and I've seen, unfortunately, I've seen this happen to even my own family members. You know that someone's very, very sick when they do what? When they lose their appetite. Then you know, uh-oh, something's not right. They're not healthy. So desire, d- desire to um, have a spouse to get married and to consummate that marriage and, and to um, engage in sexuality the right way, that's a good desire. intimacy that's a good that's a way to to, uh, fulfill that desire in a good way what's the wrong way to go get a prostitute to find intimacy you with me that's the difference the desire is not wrong God made us to have good desires it's when we take those things and we twist them and, and we try to find relief and pleasure and release and even completion by doing it in an illegitimate way See, the first deception was, it's God's fault. But then there's a second deception you have to look at from this text, and it's this one. You remember what the serpent told Eve before she partook? She sa- he said this, you will what? Surely not what? Die. He said, oh man, go ahead and eat. You won't die. Sound familiar? It's what our culture tells us today. Sadly, even in the church, we don't take sin seriously enough. We don't take sin's wages seriously enough. What does James tell us here happens? Sin, when it comes to full fruit, what does it lead to? Death. It leads to death. There is, here's the issue. There is a price to pay. We are taught in our culture in particular, you could play all you want as illegitimately as you want and there's no price tag. You know what that is? It's a deception. You're being duped. God's word comes in and says, look, I love you so much, I want you to know the truth. And the truth is, sin leads to only one thing. And that's death. Listen, before we were converted to Christ, and hopefully there's there's not many, if any of you in here that aren't converted yet, but I could speak for myself. Before I was converted to Christ, the things of this world, sinful desires, looked like life to me. When my mom would say, don't do such and such, I always thought, what a fuddy-duddy, man. She's stopping me from having fun. She's stopping me from finding what? Starts with an L. Life! I want to have life. I want to go out and party. I want to go out and do what I want to who I want, and I don't care. You know, who cares about the results, you know? Have a blast while you last, you know? That was pre-Christ. And then, of course, nobody tells you the piper's going to come, and he's going to say, here's the bill. And you're going to go, but I I, I ain't got no money. And he's going to say, it's not my problem. God is telling us in his word is that sin, rather than leading to life or to freedom, leads to two things, death and bondage. And here's an important thing from this text that really hit me. There's all kinds of evil being done in the world in this fallen place every single day since Adam and Eve fell. You can say amen here. But what God wants us to beware of and to take heed of is this. George Stulak puts it this way. It's not the wrong being done to me, but the wrong that may be done by me. That we need to watch out for. You understand that? Listen, it's subtle, but it's important. It's not the wrong that's going to be done to me, but it's the wrong that could be done by me. In other words, like I've said before millions of times, we've met the enemy and he is us some serious stuff, isn't it, James? This is the Word of God. And God wants to make sure we're not at all fooled or deceived that we have to look to ourselves. Listen, there is a heresy out there that says once you become a believer, you no longer have a sinful nature. It's a lie. The Bible wouldn't tell us, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of what? The sinful nature if you didn't have one. And here in this text... John, uh, James is speaking to believers and he's saying don't be deceived when you do cave in it's not God doing it and it ain't the devil doing it then you only got one other option it's you I got one illustration for you then I'll go to my second and last point but I think this will really bring it home Eric Alexander a great Scottish preacher I believe he's retired now I've learned a lot from him over the years he tells of a man who lived a really wicked and a lawless life did all kinds of awful things in his life to his own body, to other people. Uh, Eventually, he settled down, got married, had a child. And his child, as she was growing, they found out that she was losing her sight. There was an issue with her eyes. And so in desperation, at this point, he was a a, a businessman. He had lots of money. And he went to specialists. And he went to the first specialist in Boston. He said, you know, please, you know, what can be done? And after examining the, the, the girl, he came back and he said, I'm so sorry, but there's nothing I can do. So he didn't want to hear that as an answer, so I believe he went to uh, Maryland and he went to John Hopkins or one of these other hospitals. And unfortunately after that, same exact uh, answer he got. He, he did this a number of times in America and then he heard about a, a doctor who was a specialist in Switzerland. And so now he thought, this is my chance. He goes to that doctor. The doctor takes, uh, examines the girl, takes her files, goes in the other room for a long time. And then he comes back out and he says, I'm deeply sorry to tell you this, but there's no hope. There's nothing that can be done. Well, this man finally blew a gasket. After all this time, all this work, all this money, all this hope, and, and he just started to to curse up a storm. He went off on the doctor. He started raining down obscenities on this guy and and just completely humiliated him in front of all these people. And then when he was finally done with his rant, the doctor said, you've been very frank with me. Now I think it's about time someone is frank with you. If you had not lived the type of life that you lived as a youth, Your daughter would not be here to see me right now. That's what James is telling us. He's telling us to examine ourselves, look at ourselves. When things are tough, when you're going through trials that your Heavenly Father sends so that you will develop perseverance and that perseverance will develop the character that we all long for as Christians and when you start to look at the grass being greener in other places where you could fulfill your desires in an illegitimate, sinful way, do not blame God. Recognize those thoughts, those evil ideas, they're coming from here. Do not blame God. It's very important to see that. So when we're tempted... We've got to see it's not our parents' fault, it's not our wife's fault, not our husband's fault, not the government's fault. And above all, it's not God's fault. It's our own fault. And this is the second and last thing I want you to see. We need to place credit where credit rightfully belongs. Because if that was the end of the story, this would be a pretty gloom sermon, wouldn't it? But praise the Lord, there is gospel coming. Look at verse 16. And this is where he says it. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James wants us to have the right view, the correct view of our Heavenly Father of the God of heaven and earth. He's steadfast in his goodness, steadfast in his holiness. He's not the kind of guy like, if you go to, to, to work and you have a boss, you're like, I wonder what kind of mood he's in today. You know? Is he gonna, did something good happen so he's going to be nice? Did something horrible happen? He's going to treat me like, you know, kick the dog. What's going to happen? God's not like that. He's steady as she goes. He doesn't change. Every good and perfect gift that you've ever had in your life, even if you're not a Christian, came from him. Because notice, it doesn't say God does good things. It says every good and perfect gift comes from Him. Every of them. When I bite into a nectarine that I just picked off the tree, even before I was saved, that was from God. Amen. When someone, when, when there's a kindness shown to me, I remember one time when uh, I was stuck and I had a flat tire and I had a, my I had the kids in the car. They were late for school and I needed to fill the air air up uh, in my tire. And I asked the cashier, just, hey, can I just have 50 cents? I come by here every day. Um, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I'll pay you back next time. And she goes, what do you think this is, a bank? And I was just like humiliated. It was a big line. And the guy in line said, how much you need, man? That was from God. You with me? You have only him to thank when there's good in this world. Remember that old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, what? Thou always shall be. (laughs) Great is thy faithfulness. See, this is one of the most insidious things that can happen to us, brothers and sisters. And this is what can lead to great evil. You know, Luke, you know, beware. You could turn to the dark side. You know, this is what happens. You begin to doubt the goodness of God. Right? You go through trials. You start thinking God isn't good. And then what happens when you start thinking God isn't good, you start turning away from him. You start blaming him. And you start listening to what the world says to you about what life is. How to find relief. How to find satisfaction. And James is saying, don't you do it. Remember who your father is, who your God is. Keep your eyes on him. Such thoughts and accusations against God are not only unwarranted and completely inappropriate, but actually what James says is we need to give him credit and glory for every good thing we have. Um, There's an old, I think it's like a children's hymn, Count your blessings one by one and it'll surprise you what the Lord has done. When you wake up in the morning and you open up those two gifts, they're called eyes. Count your blessing. Amen? When you can speak, that's a gift. Not everybody can do that. When you can hear, when you can feel, when you can taste. And here, here's a good one, and I think everybody in this room should be able to relate to this. When you breathe. And one of the things that's interesting, and I've seen this, um, my sister over here reminded me of it this morning. I was coming to church, and Sunday mornings as a pastor, you want to have your mind focused so you can preach the word, you know? And, and I hate distractions. And my wife, my loving wife who cooked for the team this week, um, she's, she just, you know, is all out. I, I praise God for her. She said, "Sant, bring the baked beans if you don't mind your car. So I put them in the back seat of my car. And you know what happened when I got out of the car, right? Baked bean stuff all over the seat. Yeah, can you believe it? And, and my sister says, I, I said to her, she's like, how you doing? I'm like, sorry, I can't shake your hand. I'm having these big beans uh, spilled in my car. I was trying to put a good face on it. And she goes, your car must smell awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, why wasn't that my first thought? <laughs> but in all honesty, count your blessings. And when you start doing that, you realize how good God is, and you realize what a liar our own sinful nature is. Psalmist puts it this way, Psalm 103.2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And here's the thing, I'm going to close with this, this last one. What's the greatest benefit of all? Listen, here's the, the awesome thing about being a, a follower of Jesus, being a true child of God through faith in Christ, and that's this. We can face the reality of the ugliness and the destruction of sin because we know the greatest hope and the greatest news that's ever been given to, to mankind as well. So it's not all doom and gloom because look at the greatest blessing that we have that, that uh, James mentions here in verse 18. Not just blessings of what God does for us in creation, but what God has done for us in salvation. Look at verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he has created. Now look, this is the last verse we're going to deal with and then we're going to come to a close. I just want to take a few minutes to explain it. But it's like the last sentence of a long paragraph and we could miss it if we're just reading it through and we focus on all that stuff about sin we could see this one last line and not even give it much thought. It's kind of like this. Here I am giving you all instructions about um, how to maintain a family budget, and we're going through each of the categories, and I'm teaching you where you need to tweak, where you need to save, and you're kind of getting mad at me because you're like, oh, i got to give that. Oh, "Oh, how come I don't have enough money for this? And then I say, oh, and by the way, um, Publishing Clearinghouse came, and they said you won the million dollars, and I walk away. I would think, no matter what I said before that, that last sentence would be like a bombshell, right? Well, that's what's going on here. Look at this bombshell. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Here's the point. Here is the beauty. You did not ultimately choose God. He chose you. You want to talk about the goodness, the mercy, the grace of God. As bad and as sinful and as wicked as you are, He chose you. And he chose to give you birth. Here's the interesting thing about preaching the gospel. When we preach the gospel, we say repent and believe the good news. You know what we're telling people? Do something you can't do. That's literally what we're saying. Do something that you don't have the power to do. You cannot raise yourself from the dead. Look, book of Acts. It talks about God has granted the Gentiles repentance unto life. It's a gift, isn't it? when we preach we are trusting and hoping and longing for god to do his work so that that individual will actually believe the good news and repent and come to christ and the beauty here is god god loves us so much if you're in this room today and you are a believer you can know for certainty with certainty that god chose to give you a new birth now i got to stop here a second what is this birth it can be confusing sometimes because sometimes people refer to, we refer to ourselves as what? Born again Christians or people will label us, label us as born again Christians. And I like to say, are you a Christian? Then you're born again. There are no born again Christians just like there aren't born people. It's a it's, it's, take it of a granted. If I see you, I bet you've been born. Same thing in the church. If you're a Christian, you've been born again or born from above or born anew. Here's what James is talking about. John talks about it. Um, Peter talks about it when he talks about the new birth. We've been born once physically into this world. But just as we've been born physically, spiritually we are dead in our sins. James has kind of been describing what sin does to us. So we need to be born what? Spiritually. We need to be brought back to life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. And God has given us this birth. And how has he done it? This could be a sermon on its own, but I'm going to go quick. How has he done it? He's done it through the word of truth. The word of truth refers to the good news of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.13 And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's Paul. Here, Peter, 1 Peter one twenty three. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. God gives you new birth when his spirit uses his word to create faith in you, right? Faith comes from what, Paul says? From hearing, from hearing what? The word of Christ. And this is the last thing from this verse. Why did God do this? We're pretty selfish people. A lot of times we think about what's in it for us, but look what it says here. It says so that we will be the first fruits. Of his creation. You know what first fruits are? Of course, they are the first of the crop, but what sometimes we don't understand, it's the best that we have. It's the first. It's the and and so what what James is saying here, listen, we're kind of down there suffering, dealing with how sinful we are, but look at how the gospel raises us up. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are the trophies of his grace. Tell me that ain't awesome. And so as much as God wants us to be real about our sin, he wants us to be real about when we fall and when we struggle, he also wants to remind us we don't have to live in sin anymore. He has given us a brand new nature. We have been born from above, and we have a higher purpose. And our purpose is to give him glory as the first fruits of all of his creation. So this week whether you're going back to your own homes, your own places of work, or whether you're part of the UMTs this week, remember two things. When you're tempted, it's not God who's tempting you. But whenever you receive anything good, it's coming from who? God. And praise Him that even in the midst of the struggle of life here, the battle with sin, He has chosen you to give you brand new life to glorify Himself in this fallen place that so desperately needs a Savior. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We praise You even for the trials, not because of the trials in and of themselves. You know us, Lord. We don't enjoy the suffering, but we enjoy the fruits when we do bear up under it with faith, with hope, with trust that You are good even when we can't see why You do what You do sometimes. We trust Your heart, Lord. We trust Your intentions. We trust Your character. Lord, we praise You as the Holy, Holy, Holy One. And we pray, Lord, You would continue to do what's pleasing in Your sight in us and through us. Protect us from ourselves. And Lord, use us this week to glorify you in the midst of the battle. We pray in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Rev. Dr. Sandra Garofalo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.